0: Welcome to Business Done Differently, the podcast about challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game in business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today, I am fired up to welcome one of the best sports marketers in the world, the outrageous marketer himself, the man who literally wrote the book, Outrageous Marketing, a true mentor from afar for me. Until we joined forces in launching our team in Savannah together, I am so pumped to welcome John Spolstra to Business Done Differently. Welcome, John. Thank you, Jesse. It's uh, my delight to be here. <laughs> I'm excited to chat and kind of share some of the things that we've learned over the last few years. And I got to start with this because you inspired me the jock straps that you famously wrote about many years ago. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, John, but just a couple years ago. We launched the Dolce and Banana underwear, as I've shown you right now, and it became a big seller. We didn't give it away. We actually sold it, and it's continued to sell, actually, Bananas underwear. So I want to thank you first for the jockstrap <laughs> inspiration that uh, is happening. Do I
1: get a uh, Finder's Fianna 10%?
0: You get the royalty. Yeah. Yeah. We'll give you a few pairs of underwear free. That you, can <laughs> but you, you, So people know what we're talking about. Tell us briefly the, the jockstrap story.
1: Well, this was uh, when I became president of the New Jersey Nets. This is back in the early 1990s. And an advertising guy, oh, I can't think of his name right now, but he was a famous advertising guy in New York City. And he had written some books, advertising books. And he gives me a call and says, I've got the solution of how you can market your team. Can I come and talk to you? Which had him come in. And he made the presentation. He said, look, you're an awful team. You've been the worst team in the league for seven straight years. You've been awful attendance. Everybody knows that it's just an awful experience. I know how you can sell the place out. And I said, How's, how do you do that? And he said, give a jockstrap to every man, woman, and child that comes to the game. They come through the turnstiles, hand them a jockstrap. And he said, people will be talking about you. He said, do it for every game. There's 41 games in the NBA season, home games. If a person goes to all 41 games, you give them 41 jockstraps, <laughs> all XL. If a woman gets it, she'll take it to work the next day and drop it off on somebody's desk. If a kid gets it, he will think it's a slingshot and uh, fire things away. He said, you'll be the talk of the nation. And so that's how it started. And there are some ideas that intimidate me. And so, this Jesse, this is what I've done my whole business life is when I come up with an idea that is, a, I don't quite know where to go with it, but it's really a wild idea. I handwrite it down on a piece of paper. And this would be give a jockstrap to every man, woman, and child who comes to the New Jersey Nets game, every game, and put it in an envelope and sit in my office. And I locked the door so nobody could come in and see me. And this is at the New Jersey Nets offices. And I literally pushed that envelope across the table slowly, like really slowly. And I started to think, just sort of like a, a natural reaction of pushing this outrageous envelope across my desk. You start to think about some of the problems with that. And some of the opportunities too. So I called in a guy who had done our hats. We gave away hats, a lot of hats. We gave away like group ticket sales. If you bought a group ticket, you got a hat. So we gave away away over 100,000 hats. And this guy was a Chinese guy who else for these hats. And we were buying the hats at that time. I think it was for 95 cents. Yeah. Now I thought they were pretty good looking hats. I found out though, if you put it on the shelf of your car in the back, That was not a good idea because it was in the sun, they would melt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it was a 95 cent hat. Yes. So I called the guy in and
1: I said, look, I want to give away. We figured that year would do about 500,000 in attendance. I want to give away 500,000 jocks. And just to make sure he knew what I was talking about, I brought a jock into work. And he said, oh, a lot of stitches, a lot of stitches. And I said, well, just find out what it's going to cost for 500,000 jocks. And he comes back a week later, and the hats were costing us 95 cents. The jock was going to cost us, I think it was like $3. And I said to the guy, I said, that can't be possible. I said, the jock, all there is is air. Yeah. The hat, there's some material there. And he says, too many stitches. So I said, well, we can't do too much uh, money. $3 a jock times $500,000. That's a million and a half. There's no way we'd have that type of money. So then he said, and then I'm thinking, well, maybe... I could do it in November. That was, at that time, the beginning of the NBA season. I could do it for maybe the first three games. So I said, how about November, and instead of 500,000 jocks, how about if we did 40,000 traps? He said, oh, November, uh, too soon. Instead of three months for hats, because of the number of stitches in the jock, you needed like five months. So he said, too soon. Then he said, how about playoffs?
0: I said, (laughs) you know our team.
1: We're not going well, to make the playoffs. Yeah. So we never did
0: the jock strap. But you inspired, not just that idea, but also we did a salute to underwear night my second year in Gastonia. <laughs> and it was a salute to underwear night, and we said anybody that wore their underwear on the outside got a free ticket, and we threw oh. away underwear – and John, I've shared this many times, but it was the most unfamily-friendly night we've ever done. I mean, it was disgusting what people were wearing into our <laughs> ballpark, and we had about 262 fans show up and the media showed up. The Charlotte News came and they covered people wearing their underwear, but no one in the stadium. It was a colossal failure, but it ended up leading to this, which turned out to a win. So I, I like that, that right? the inspiration. But no, I think this is obviously for the background that people know and will share. You know, obviously working, you know, the president of the Nets and the Trailblazers and running Mandalay Baseball, minor league teams tons of experience, but pushing the outrageous envelope. And this show, Business Done Differently, people are so scared. And I'd love to give some more examples of kind of how you did that and how it can inspire other people to get a little more outrageous, to have outrageous results.
1: Well, that's one of the things, I, I really don't mean to plug the book, but that's it's all about not the outrageous idea necessarily, but how to get it approved. Yes, And there were some crazy things that I've done throughout my career that it's, when I look back on it, I'm saying, now that was really an off-the-wall
0: idea. And, let's, let's share a little bit because there's maybe some I don't even know Okay.
1: About. Well, one of them, a lot of it was insider stuff like uh, bringing radio in-house. Yes. We were the first team to do that Yes, in an era when nobody did it. Yes. So that was a breakthrough thing. And nowadays, that's just commonplace uh, yes. with teams. We were the first team to go with satellite for our radio broadcasts. No other team are doing it. Well, here's one, Jesse, that we didn't do, but I really tried on this. (laughs) When Russia, when the USSR dissolved and became Russia, this was about 1993 or so Yes, back then, and they had a, a radio signal that would reach off of nine time zones, meaning that from Moscow, it could reach to Japan, And you could rent airtime on that. And what I wanted to do, this is with the New Jersey Nets, the lowly New Jersey Nets. I wanted our coverage map on radio to be northern New Jersey and Russia, (laughs) Japan.
0: Uh, I love it.
1: And I was working my way through of uh, how to do this so we could broadcast all of our games on radio in Russia, I'm not sure if anybody had listened. It would be in English. It didn't make any difference. I wanted that coverage map of Russia. And I found out it was going to cost us to do all 82 games, like $20,000, put into Russia, China, the whole place. And unfortunately, uh, uh, the wisdom of David Stern wasn't with him that, that day when he stopped us from doing it. He says, You don't have the right to do that.
0: Oh, Was <laughs> uh, Well, see, now, now you're inspiring me. I'm like, is there one country? Like small country that we can literally go and infiltrate with the bananas and give them banana shirts. Uh,
1: and yeah. Oh, here, here's the other one. Yeah. Is in with Portland. We had a radio network of forty some stations. It was you could go every place in the state of Oregon and there would be they would be carrying a, a blazer game Portland Trailblazer game.
2: Yeah.
1: We had three fifty thousand watt stations. One in Portland. One in Eugene, Oregon. One in Boise. We had a station in Alaska. We had a station in Hawaii.
2: Yeah.
1: But just for the fun of it. I wanted to get a station in Iowa or Nebraska. See, Iowa and Nebraska don't have any proteins. Yes. And I wanted one of those states to adopt this protein. And we went by satellite. So getting the signal to Iowa and Nebraska was nothing. We just have to put in a downlink. And I couldn't get a station.
0: And that's where that bad, Portland, <laughs> or that was Portland. That was Portland. Portland, right. Oh, okay, Portland, you won some games in Portland. Right, right. Uh, so okay. I thought
1: that would just been sort of neat that a town in Iowa or Nebraska
0: yes. adopted. Oh, it's uh, brilliant. And again, it's it's thinking the way other people aren't thinking. And I think that's where I want to go for, you know, the business leaders that are listening to this. You know, you have some main ideas, but differentiate until you sweat, new as a way of life. Share uh, how how that really became a model for you, maybe with a story, and then how it's Really? Well, Really
1: new, new is a way of life. It started with doing something new in the first place. But with the New Jersey Nets, there was a lot of Japanese American companies located in the New York, New Jersey area. Yes. And most of the executives at those companies were Americans. But they knew about the New Jersey Nets that we were an utter failure. <laughs> and any sponsorship in those days, it was over $100,000. Usually had to go back for approval in Japan. Okay. So I figured, why should I go and get embarrassed by calling somebody in New York or New Jersey? Why don't I just go to the source? Why don't I go to Toyota in Japan? Why don't I go to Sony? And I hired a Japanese national who had inns at all those big companies. So I trekked off to Japan and sat down and met with the chairman of uh, Toyota, Honda, Sony, All these companies, and in fact, our sponsorship level. I was trying to pitching sponsorships, but the way to do it is just to go over and present yourself. And my guy Yoshi would talk to that guys to talk about the sponsorship deal. It was impolite for me to talk about the deal. Yes, because they measured the character. And so I, I went over there. I think in three years, I went over like twelve times. But we were importing about $3 million a year in sponsorships from directly from Japan. Oh, jeez. And we found out that there was a tax deal with Japanese. If they used their logo in advertising, almost just their logo, nothing else, they got a special tax break in Japan. So like in our arena, our arena looked like it was in Tokyo. There was all these Japanese signs. Um, <laughs> nobody really understood that. The the media never picked up on it. And we were doing about $3 million in revenue coming directly from Japan. But the president of Sony, uh, we're out having Kunitaki Ando, wonderful man. We're having dinner one night. And I said, Kuni, it must be really difficult for your engineers to continually come up with new products. Because mm-hmm. you come up with new products and then somebody knocks it off six months later yes. for half the price. And you're always coming up with new stuff. I said, it must put a lot of pressure on your engineers. And he said, well, at Sony, we consider new as a way of life. If we don't do new, we perish in the marketplace. Hmm. And I thought, wow, can I write that down? So I wrote down, new is a way of life. If we don't do new, we perish in the marketplace. So coming home, it was, it's like in the wintertime, it's like a 15-hour flight coming back from Tokyo to Newark, New Jersey. I just kept on thinking, new is a way of life. New is a way of life. And this doesn't mean, Jesse, that you're inventing like Tesla, an electric car. You're just looking at new ways of doing things. And I'll give you a great uh, example. In those days, and it's probably is still but the truth today. It's almost every team that I know, their ticket, they had a trifle for their ticket, brochure. It was just a piece of paper mm-hmm. folded twice. Everybody did that.
2: Mm.
1: And I talked to different teams. I said, well, how many tickets do you sell then? And they'd always say, well, none, or just a few. And I was talking to a friend of mine, Joe Sugarman, who invented, remember the blue blocker sunglasses? Yes.
2: Uh,
1: and I said, Joe, how come you don't sell these? He said he'd sold them by catalog. He sold it by infomercial. He sold a lot of different ways, but he never sold it with a trifold. I said, how come you never sell it by a trifold? And he said, well, it's a lot cheaper. He said, I'm in the direct mail business. He said, it's a lot, a lot cheaper. I'd love to be able to do that, but it doesn't work. And so he said, the catalog works. It's so even still, you know, we still get a lot of catalogs at home at certain times of the year. But we don't get trifolds." Mm-hmm. But the people in the business of selling in the mail, is cataloged. Mm-hmm. So the new is a way of life. I said, why don't we do a ticket catalog? And one page, each page would feature a different ticket product. One would be season tickets, one would be like like all you can eat, another one would be, it'd be a different ticket product. We put that together. It was an eight-page catalog, and there were seven ticket products featured. And it cost us a dollar to put to make the thing and then put it in the mail. And we the return was for every dollar we spent, we were getting $10 back. So then the question is, well, let's do it again. You know?
0: Yeah, keep doing uh, it.
1: But that's what, So when I talk about new as a way of life. I'm not saying something that nobody's ever thought of, but how can you take something that's in existence and change it? Like when we did radio in-house, it was still the games were on air. You know, people still were able to listen to the game. The only difference was we were the ones that made the money instead of the radio station.
0: I love it. So, I mean, for someone listening, it's almost look at every product that you have and not just what the product is, how you sell it, how you promote right. it, what it right. looks like, what's the design, how is it delivered. Right. You know, you can literally right. write down every part of that. And I think, you know, Absolutely. it's, it's, and it's and if you look like
1: by new as a way of life. Yes. Take one of those elements and say, okay, that's the thing that's going to help differentiate and how to make this
0: product better. Because I mean, you know as much as anyone. Every single year we ask, "All right, what are you guys doing new, new this year? What's next? What's new?" Uh-huh. You can uh-huh. ask that question because people want to have something to talk about. Where sports are a cool brand, but you got to give them something to talk about. It. I'll give you an example. Uh, last year, John, we had our streaming. And so literally the way that you stream a game, you know, you show it, you have maybe two cameras, four cameras, et cetera. We challenged every way that a game could be streamed. And we said, all right, well, also, is it sold just by per game or per season? Like everyone else, we said, no, let's do it $5 a month year round and have content that goes year round. So sell it as a year round kind of Netflix model. Then next we said, hmm, can we have drones in the middle of games that actually film during games? And we said, could we do that? And in every rule you can't because you can't have drones. But we said, let's break the rules and see what happens. We're going to get in trouble. Next, could we mic up players during the games? Could we let fans vote to who comes into the game? Could we have a camera that follows the players up to the bat? And we asked all these questions. And I'll tell you one thing, John, the first game, it was a disaster. We had no idea what we were doing. I mean, it was, right. the, it, audio was going out, the videos. By second game, it got better. By the third game, it got better because we kept asking those questions. And I think you almost have to have an impatience to the old way of doing things to be able to continue of a new way of doing things. Right. So I I just, I love that new is a way of life. Um, Are there other ways people can embody this? I mean, we gave some examples, but you know, I think is it just looking at everything that they're selling and then not just looking at inventing, but looking at it in different ways. What else did you guys do or be able to teach? Well, one
1: thing that I've done personally, and I've done this, in fact, this is another one of those uh, books that I'm writing. I've done this for, I'm thinking like 40 years, 50 years. Yes. Is every 90 days, I want to come up with up to three things that I'm going to initiate or improve upon, but up to three things and no more than three. Mm -hmm. And it can be one. So like this book that that I wrote, uh, How to Get Your Ideas Approved, I came up with one of my 90 days. I said, okay, I can do that in 90 days. I can write the thing. I can package it so forth and so on. But I've done that throughout my life every 90 days, something new, something I can initiate. Most people don't think in those terms every 90 days. But if you take a look at it, like with the, the staff in Portland, it was a smaller staff. Yes. But I'd have a meeting with every employee every 90 days. We talk about what up to three things are you going to initiate or improve. We discuss about, and it could be anything. It didn't have to be work related. It can be anything. This is where you choose what you want to initiate. You choose what you want to improve, not what your boss says you should improve upon. And then we set up certain benchmarks, what type of progress. Like one woman wanted to be able to type better. I didn't question whether, I think she typed like 60 words a minute. She wanted to be able to type 80. That was okay. (laughs) Yes. It it wasn't like I was going to judge what she wanted to improve upon. Then I asked, how are you going to do that? What steps are you going to take? And I said, you probably can get a class at a community college for really, and I said, we'll pay for the class.
2: Yes. Uh, if if that's
1: So she had to come up with a strategy and so forth. And she got, I said, she wanted to be able to type 100 words a minute. When she got to 90, she thought that was enough. And I said, that's fine. Yeah. You can quit at any point along the way once you think that it's sufficient.
0: It's so simple, though, because in what you have, if you have 100 employees, by the end of the year, you have 1,200 new ideas that are implemented. Right. And so and we call it the 12 week year in a great book, I think Brian Moran, that we've embodied here the same three things to get better and improve. And they take ownership on it because it's something right. that they want to do and which gives them ownership in a job right. and gives them entrepreneur spirit, which is great. So I love that. I love that. John I want to wanna jump on that into the shift of the idea champion. Because you talk about, you know, hey, these are ideas, and we got to actually champion them and get them done. And your new book on how to get ideas approved, share with me how this came about, because I think we've embodied some of this from you as well. And I think every company should have idea champions, idea paloozas, and make ideas happen.
1: Well, with the idea champions, we want somebody, it could be their idea, but it could be voluntary. Somebody, when these ideas are embryonic stage, somebody has to carry that Across the goal line.
2: Yes, they'd have
1: to have to take ownership of that. Yes. When I worked with that, is we'd ask for volunteers, or some people it was pretty obvious. They'd say, "I'm that's my idea. I want to run with it." Okay. But then they would run with it. They were the CEO of that idea, and they'd report back to me whenever necessary. But usually no less than once a week. If they ran into the roadblocks, they could ask for assistance. And sometimes they'd have a budget, and sometimes they wouldn't. And sometimes they'd have to get approval from other people in the same company, and sometimes they wouldn't. But they became the idea champion to be able to carry that thing to fruition. And there were times, Jesse, when we carried that idea very far and realized there was pretty bad holes in it and that it'd be better to discard it. And that's okay too.
0: They learned from it. What were some ideas from Uh, younger staff members maybe that you remember back in the day that got championed and was like, wow, this really made an impact. Going back a little bit, John, you know.
1: Well, one of them was, uh, this is when I was talking about their radio network with the Portland Trailblazers and it was over 40 uh, radio stations. In three states, AT&T, and we fed that, the signal, with AT&T long lines. AT&T told us that in a year, they were going to raise the rates, which would have meant to us, costing us $100,000 more. Hmm. And at the time, we're paying about $40,000 a year. So it went up substantially. So we sat down to try to come up with, what is the solution to this? And one person said, satellite. And somebody else said, what do you mean, Satellite. He said, Well, I read about that there's these satellites up there now, <laughs> communication satellites. ABC is using them, NBC is using them. Uh, why don't we use it? Well, none of us knew anything about satellites. But we made that That one person became the idea champion, asked along the way, asked for a couple other people to help. But we, first of all, you had to find out who has these satellites. Mm-hmm. Then you have to find out. If they do have them, do they rent out transponder time? And does it? how much does it cost? What type of equipment do you need? All this stuff you really need. So we really needed somebody to dig into this thing and grab the ball and run with it. And we found out that you couldn't rent it by the hour or by the day, the transponder. You could only rent it annually. And so an NBA season has about 240 hours of hours, 240 hours of transmission time. Yes. So this, you'd run it for 365 days, 24 hours a day. Yeah, it got to work. But even then, oh, then you'd have to have a, a downlink and an uplink.
2: Yeah.
1: The, many of the stations in those days, this was in the 1980s, didn't have downlinks. So we'd have to buy them downlinks, and we would have to build an up, have an uplink. The whole thing would cost us about $250,000. <laughs> now, to put that in perspective, the best player on the team at that time was making about $600,000 a year. Maybe 500000 So this was a big investment. Yeah. $250,000. That would have been like your third best player. And But once you paid for it, the cost of satellite were practically nothing. So it would have been $140,000 a year going with AT&T or $250,000 going satellite. But the next year, it still would have been $140,000 with AT&T. The next year, it would be about $10,000, I satellite. So we, we made that presentation to the owner. He had spend a quarter of a million. He accepted it. And the funny thing is, once it got rolling, other people found out that we had this satellite, this transponder tank, and they wanted to rent it. <laughs> and we rented it in that first year about $100,000 to <laughs> other people. Because while the big guys couldn't, didn't have rent it out by the hour, we weren't held back. We could rent it out by per minute if we wanted to. Oh, I love it. We rented out per hour, and it became a pretty good it started to make about a half million dollars a year.
0: Unbelievable. I know, what that, you
1: the, the idea champion it came up with a, with a normal meaning of what, how can we solve this problem? And one guy just sort of blithely said, satellite, and he became the idea champion. he was no means, by no means a techie. He should have never been put in charge of that. His previous job for years had been a trainer for a hockey team. She's no so he didn't have the techie brain. Yeah. But he's the one that became the idea champion and really put it all
0: together. He saw it from a different perspective. It's asking the questions that you talk about there and what's it gonna take and right. what did I do today to bring in revenue for the team. Right. And I got to tell you, when I was my first year in Gastonia, when I took the job and there was only $268 in the bank account. And the first three months, that's not a joke. That was the number. and There were three full-time employees and payroll was on Friday. So that was my first day. And I was the GM and I couldn't pay myself for long periods of time. And so I read your book, I think it was about December, two months into the job. And in January, I wrote that down on an index card. What's it going to take? And what did I do today? Bring in revenue. In January, I made up my goal is every day I got to bring in some form of revenue. And I remember like the third week of January, I didn't have anything. I started. Calling just to sell $100 family plans. I started calling families, like, hey, there's $100 family plans, <laughs> right, just to be able to sell something. And I kept a right, streak. Right. I think it was 42 days of something sold, but it was asking that question what's it going to take? And what did I do to bring revenue? Well, that- I think
1: I put that in the book. I was uh, spent a day in New Jersey as the president. And it's one day I'm driving home, traffic in New Jersey, even though I would usually leave at around 7 p.m., there's still a lot of traffic in New Jersey. And I was just bone tired and I'm thinking, And the thought crossed my mind, what did I do today to make money for my company, for the New Jersey Nets? And I'm thinking, well, I met with a couple of lawyers. That didn't didn't make us any money. I went through the whole day and realized that I was bone tired. I didn't do anything, increase or work on revenue for the team. So I sat down that night and made the vow, a solemn vow to myself that I would never go a working day again without making at least one sales call.
2: Mm.
0: And you did it.
1: And now in New Jersey, it was really easy to do because we had this full staff. uh, We had 20 ticket salespeople, and we had like four sponsorship salespeople. So it was easy for me to hook up with a guy. It would take an hour out of my life because that's all sales calls take is half an hour, 25 minutes to get there and come back and half hour or so making the pitch. Now, when I went to Mandalay, where we owned seven baseball teams, I traveled around to the teams, there it was pretty easy too because I would make sales calls with the local team, whether it be ticket sales or sponsorships, and I found out that the, it was really a good way for me to understand the market of that individual team. You know, the salesperson still made the pitch. I was going along like I was John Madden. I made I was the color commentator.
2: Yes. And,
0: yeah, Steve did that a lot with us. Steve was with right, us. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's because so, you, you get a feel for it. You get to know what it's like. You get to be a part of it. And you can help coach better when you're actually in their shoes.
1: And I thought the biggest benefit, Jesse, is that driving to and from with a young salesperson.
2: Hmm. And
1: it wasn't like I was going to grade them or anything, but I just got to talk with them a little bit about whatever. And coming back from the sales call, we talked about what went on. And I just found that that was really helpful one-on-one. And I think that was one of the most important things I did. It's taking an hour on my day to
0: make a sales call. So valuable. How can you put yourself in their shoes and spend time with them? I love that. We started this this year, frontline fan, John, where we actually go and everyone in our front office works in the concession stand, works in the beer garden, works in the stadium oh, cool. with the people cool. dressed up. I take the yellow tux off. I'm in a regular. I think they called me Toby. <laughs> I was called Toby this year, so no one knew the owner was serving them in the register and the relationship was able to build and connect with them to have the empathy right. for what they go through. I think it's so crucial and. Um, I want. We're going to get to some games, John. Because
1: here's one. One other thing, it was sort of a similar to that. Is in Portland and in New Jersey, at least once a year, everybody that worked there went to the game yes. as a fan. Yes, they couldn't park in any special parking lot. They had to pay for the parking. Uh, there was no special inducements, whatever. And then we expanded that. And you could travel to any NBA team. We pay for the the flight, we pay for the hotel, we pay for all expenses. And all we wanted you to do is to come back with an idea that we could steal.
0: See, we've done that at our state, but we've never done that at another ballpark. Interesting. Okay. I yeah. love that. That's a good one. That's a good one. See, we try to, we learn more from outside the industry. A lot of times we, like when we take our trip, our team on cruises or go to Disney, it, Right. It, it, we try to take those and bring them in. But I think every team, there's not something you can steal, but maybe you can get inspired to do something because right, you right. how they were doing it. I like that. Right. You know, it's funny. I, I, I said I was going to get into some games because this is business done differently, John. So it's not gonna be a typical just <laughs> back and forth. But before they do that, you made me think about what's it going to take? And what did I do to bring in money? I wrote a piece today about, you know, how can you be the most valuable player of your team? And it's not the person on the field. How can you every day be the most valuable? And that's a different question to ask. If everyone's trying to provide value that if you are going to lead, literally your boss will fight and fight and fight and fight and fight to keep you a part of it. And I think that's a different question too. And how can you provide more value and not just try to be be taking a spot or taking a role? So, all right, you've inspired me for a little bit. All right, let's go to the next. All right, I want to go into advertising done differently because you you talk a lot about how much you learned from Joe Sugarman and Roy Williams, some of the lessons that you learned. Share a little bit like advertising done differently, maybe what you did back in the day. And then now it's a whole different world.
1: Sort of, it's a whole different world. What we did years ago was like most of the many of the NBA teams in, in when I was with the Nets, and again, this is in the '90s, so this is quite a few years ago. They had advertising budgets of two or three million dollars, and they'd run these beautiful TV commercials, and I mean, really, they were really great commercials. Yeah, I'd always be sort of a sport and I'd say, "Well, how many tickets did you sell?" And they say, "Well, there's a lot of goodwill," and I say, "Yeah, I know, but <laughs> your tenants went down, and your team was pretty good." So, really, from Joe Sugarman. 'Cause he believes in that every ad that's spent has to show results. Yes. So I took that one throughout my business career. And the television, it's really difficult to do it unless you do an infomercial. And we did that in New Jersey. It was so so for us. What really worked for us was a quarter page ad in the newspaper, but a direct response ad. So it was it was a very ugly ad. It was all copy, but it always had an interesting headline. people interested and we had to tell our whole story in that ad. We want the goal was to get the person to pick up the phone and call in to order a ticket package. Simple goal. Nowadays it's far different is you want people to come to your website. And then instead of picking up the phone, you want them to click and make the order. The advantage of the website is far, far greater than a newspaper ad, because a newspaper ad, we did a quarter page ad, it would cost two thousand dollars. Hmm. And we wanted to get, from that ad, let's say if the ad came, in, came out on a Tuesday. For the next two days, we wanted to sell $8,000 worth of tickets. We wanted at least a four-to-one ratio. And we'd only advertise twice a week, like Tuesday and Thursday. Or mon- or we'd advertise Monday and Thursday. The shelf life of an ad in the newspaper is very limited, like two days. Nowadays, the world has changed. Newspapers' circulation has gone way down. Yep. Their costs have not gone down. <laughs> the costs have stayed up yeah. so it's much more difficult to get a 4 to 1 ratio
2: mm-hmm.
1: but then what's come along is Facebook yeah. and you know the other types of uh, social media, but still the goal is like on Facebook is to get the person to read about what your offer is mm-hmm. and with on the line you, get, you can show videos, you can show a lot of copy, you can show a lot of fun you can do a lot of different things that weren't available before, so the difference is, how do you get the person, let's say on Facebook, to come to your site? Mm-hmm. And that's creative,
0: yeah. right? And what did you learn with creative? Because you are a lot more copy. I mean, I again, we worked, we did some of this together where you would write more of a full. It's a story-based. Is that one of the biggest things you've learned?
1: <clears throat> the feeling is, is that people that are going to make an investment in tickets, they generally want more information than less. If you go to like the infomercials that are on the internet now, like I saw one the other day for a wedge in golf. And I think went on and on and on and on for the Aussie Wedge. But it, the thing is, the people that are interested, you can't almost give them enough information. Interesting. And the more they get into it, the more likely, and there's got to be pauses along the way where they can order. Uh,
0: so almost I like the world's longest, ad, can you create an ad that's literally almost the world's longest ad, which just keeps right, right. talking about it, keeps talking about that's better than best experience ever.
1: Savannah. Right,
2: right. yeah 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 okay. okay
1: the best experience ever what well, the key is to get them to come to your site
2: yes
1: and that's from let's say a Facebook ad yeah that's really got to be creative and grab their attention but this used to be okay like our newspaper ads the same principle applies in the internet but the, the like the headline in a newspaper ad my philosophy was the sole purpose of that headline was to get the person to read the sub headline mm-hmm then the sole purpose of the subheadline was to get them to read the first sentence. The sole purpose, if you had a picture, was get them to read the first sentence. The sole purpose of the first sentence is to get them to read the second sentence. Love it. The sole purpose of the second sentence is to get them to read the next paragraph. And you've got to get them going down that chute. So eventually... And so the difficulty on that, Jesse, is really got to be interesting and make the person curious with that headline, and then the subheadline, and then the first a few sentences, you got to really make them curious and they, they have to be interested in your product anyway. Let's say like with your baseball, if somebody is just not interested in baseball or sports.
0: They, they love our shows. <laughs> right. They love our circus. <laughs>
1: but, but they would come there with somebody
0: else. Yes.
1: And then enjoy it. But they probably wouldn't do it just without knowing. Yeah. The baseball might turn them off.
0: Yes. It's interesting, though, the way you're talking about the headlines, because I know we start, before we launch anything, we actually write a press release and say, is this interesting enough? Is it attention-getting? Is it exciting? Uh, that's the other
1: thing. Most press releases are extraordinarily boring. Yes. Most of them. And yeah. I don't know, do they learn that in college, how to write a boring press release? And at Mandalay, what we did is, this went out to reporters. Well, reporters are human beings, too, even though a lot of times they're boring. But which you have to do with them and the press releases make it interesting.
0: So, so let's do this. Let's jump on this, John. So a sports team's going to have a unique game or something special. You, you can call it whatever you want. How would you not make it boring? I mean, or give me an example. How would you not, how would you lead them down the train?
1: Well, okay. The headline could be one outrageous rule that you'll like. Okay. And you've got the nine new rules of baseball. Is it 10?
0: Oh, for banana ball, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: which I, which I think are absolutely stunningly terrific. But that was on a press release. If that a reporter gets that one rule, what would I say? One rule.
0: an outrageous rule you'll like. Yeah. Okay. Would,
1: would that make them read the
0: subhead? And then hint at it, and then keep going a little bit more.
1: Right. The commissioner said he'd kill us if we tried this.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: Would, would that make the person? Interesting to read the first sentence.
0: Yeah. It's like uh, my boss said he might fire me for doing this, which I've seen. Yeah. Something like right. that. Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting. So when we announced our fans giving game, we said bananas announced fans giving fans will temporarily starve. Because yeah. we're not feeding fans for the first 66 minutes to honor the 66 <laughs> pilgrims that uh, came across in the Mayflower, <laughs> so there's, there'll be no food. And, and when this actually airs after that, but there'll be there so no. Then food. the
1: they, press will start, your, will start looking forward to your. start looking forward to your press releases.
0: Yeah, they say what's next, and that goes into his way of life. So again, you got to think: Is this outrageous enough that you want to keep reading? The great authors you want to read the next chapter because they give you a cliffhanger. How does everything have a cliffhanger? This right here is, is I think, so important for everyone listening. How does everything you put have a cliffhanger? Of intrigue to get you to the next thing. right, absolutely. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, let's go to a quick game. You ready? Okay. All right. This is going to be truth and dare. All right. So <laughs> both of them. Which one would you like first?
1: Doesn't make any
2: difference.
0: <laughs> we'll go with uh, we'll go with the dare. All right. Usually, don't worry, John. I have people sing because at our ballpark we have everyone sing, and it's four thousand people. It's crazy. I won't do that to you. We're gonna do bananas. I wouldn't do it. You wanna do it? All right, bananas barnyard. All right. So we give bring grown men onto the field, and we say an animal, and they have to act like it. But I want to know one animal that people would describe you as. You're a business person. What kind of animal were you as a leader? And maybe uh, what sound would they make? Dog. You're a dog. Yeah. Why would you be a dog? And and you didn't bark, but it's okay, I'll be easy on you. Yeah,
1: I I have no idea.
0: You have no idea, all right. You know, there's different leaders, and I wonder, I've had different impersonations, what type of leader that they would see you as, as a person that was very aggressive, were you more timid, were you, that's what I I wanted the type of leader.
1: Maybe I don't know animals enough.
0: (laughs) As you spent time in Maui, you enjoy, you know golf very well. If I went to the type of golf, I could've gone there. All right, let's go to a truth then. Give me something, one of the best lessons, something that didn't work for you. Something that didn't work for you that you really learned from.
1: Well, there's been some big things. The one truth is, don't be too far ahead of the idea. We don't have the idea too far ahead of its time. Okay. Like I set up. This was in the 70s. I got the TV rights nationally to Notre Dame basketball. At the time, there are three television networks of which they would carry like the one game of the week, like NBC would have the one game of the week. There was very little college basketball on television. Yes. And I went to Notre Dame, and I was living in Chicago at the time. I had my own little company, and we're living in an old brownstone building in Evanston, and I wanted to watch a Notre Dame game. And the roof was an antenna of this building, three-story building. And I figured I could hook that up with my TV because the games were televised in South Bend, Indiana, which is right across Lake Michigan. Yes. So I could hook this up, and I did. And I could get the picture f- for a while, but then it would go out. And so I have to run up to the roof, reconfigure it. And I thought, geez, if I want to watch these Notre Dame basketball games a lot, there's a lot of other Notre Dame grads in Chicago who would like to watch it. And then I thought if they wanted to watch it, there's probably Notre Dame fans in Detroit or Cleveland or Indianapolis. Hmm. Or New York City, so I went to see Moose Krause, who was the athletic director at the time. Over a period of time, I acquired the rights to Notre Dame basketball for ten years. I never knew anything about television, and we were an artistic success. We got great ratings. We we're on uh, 118 stations, but the landlines at that time through AT&T were, I think, it was a dollar a mile per hour, which was our biggest. And if you were a network, it was like two cents a mile per hour. Anyways, so here was an idea before time it failed. We are an artistic success, a financial failure. Two years later, satellite came in where you could go by transponder for really cheap. At that time, cable came into play also. So you could have done that. I could have sold rights to cable companies. Would they have liked to have had the rights to Notre Dame basketball for 10 years? So it failed. I also consider that my greatest success in life was putting together this television network 100, 118 stations and it's also my greatest failure because i wasn't able to make it work
0: for the timing was off yeah
1: right th- that idea was too far ahead of its time what you really want to be is a little bit ahead of your time yeah Not too far because too far it's just things aren't in place yet for that can make it really
0: successful. Yeah. Well, the greatest example is Netflix when they split the company because they knew streaming right. was coming and it almost crippled them. Their stock price went from one seventy right. two to $17. So, you know, right. they, they were on the right path. They just weren't there yet. I love right. that. All right. do so I want to jam a little bit rapid fire here. Future of sports marketing, John. And I want us to have like almost an outrageous marketing showdown right here. All right. So like, for instance, merchandise, promotions, food and bev. What are some outrageous things that we can do, and you can throw one. Then I'll go. We can go back and forth. But food and bev, food and beverage at a stadium, potentially. Right. What is some outrageous things they can do to create some attention?
1: Well, we've already done that with uh, you guys with uh, free food. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: here's something I did in Portland: is we acquired the food and beverage rights. It had been held by the city, and in those days, it was basic: your hot dogs, popcorn, so forth. And we couldn't fry food inside. You'd cook hot dogs, but you couldn't fry, you couldn't cook a burger, you couldn't do a lot of things. But there was an overhang outside in the front. So we grilled burgers out there. In the winter in Portland, Oregon, you know, you get snow, or not snow, but you get rain and it's, it's cold. Yeah. But people would wait in line out there to get their cheeseburgers. We also had stir fry. Now, any, any concessionaire will tell you stir fry doesn't make money. Yes. It's crazy to do it. And I said, I don't really care too much if we make money off a stir fry. What I really want is the people to have the choice. So when they walk in, they see this big stir fry thing. They're probably going to order a hot dog, but I want them to think they have an alternative so they'll keep on eating something. Interesting. And the stir fry, yeah, it wasn't very profitable, but it became, you know, it was so different in a stadium at the time. This was in the late 1980s. We also wanted to cook popcorn at the time that it was right before it was consumed.
2: Yes. Not stale popcorn. But you know,
1: every concessionaire cooks cooks up a mountain of popcorn a week before, puts it in big plastic bags. And I wanted to pop the corn, and I wanted the aroma of the popcorn in the stadium, in the arena. Mm. So we hired a concessionaire to do the operational work. And he said, well, uh, he said, how are we going to do this? I said, we've got a popcorn machine in the office. I said, why don't we do it that way? a little bit bigger, maybe. So we put out two popcorn machines and just kept them going the whole time. But the line got so big, the concessioner came to me and he said, what are we going to do now? He said, there's like 70 people in line. I said, but buy more popcorn machines. <laughs> so we ended up owning about 10 popcorn machines and kept them going all game long. And the aroma was terrific. So I think part of it is, is just having a lot of different choices, but interesting choices.
2: Yeah, that's good.
1: And, and also gets besides the just the food itself. Get the aroma and get the fun of
0: it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some things are just to create the attention. I mean, like how
1: about some of these hot dogs that you you go to a place and it was cooked, boiled probably a few hours before and wrapped and you pick it out of the bin and there's no smell to it. It's a little bit squishy. So that isn't really merchandising the food.
0: Well, while it's food and bath, I was like a food and bath and then like merchandise, just kind an outrageous department. Like what are some things maybe in the past or what to do in the future? we are constantly thinking about what is the most outrageous item that we can sell and see if people actually.
1: Well, but I also, Jesse, I like the aroma
0: Not the food. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I like the popcorn. I like the grilling of the burgers. I like the grilling of the hot dogs right there. If you have to have a fan that blows the aroma out into the
0: uh, crowd, I like that too. Smart, very Disney like how they spell the cinnamon stuff. You you smell the desserts, so you have desserts. I love that. All right, anything else like as far as future different departments, whether it is merchandise, what do you see some outrageous ideas that could come about? Whether it's tickets, merchandise, food and bev, operations, anything in a sports department that you see could be outrageous?
1: I've seen a lot of those things come a long way. Yes. Like merchandise, I've seen that come a really long way. Yeah. Okay, back again when I was with the New Jersey Nets. They had all these national licensees, but 90% of them would not make the merchandise of the New Jersey Nets because nobody bought them. And if available, could people buy it in the first place? That was That's really what led me to want to change the name of the New Jersey Nets to the New, New Jersey Swamp Dragons. <laughs> and I don't know if you've been to the, the swamp at New Jersey, the Meadowlands.
0: Yeah, no, um, I haven't.
1: That used to be a, a swamp. And every summer, it would catch on fire from the pollutants that were in the swamp. So it wasn't like the Meadowlands, which sounds like, well, there's going to be cows grazing off on the horizon. Yeah. But the merchandising was, nobody was making our merchandise, and we had to go through the NBA. And so we came up with, can we change the name of the Nets? Sort of like going in the Witness Protection Program. Yeah. Because they had been so such a failure, they'd never won anything, and you could give them a new name and a new identity. Yes. And so it was going to be the swamp dragons. And we love the word dragons because the dragons can be a nice thing that uh, kids love. Dragons are every place. It yeah. could be ferocious. It could fly. It's got fire coming out of its mouth. it got a lot of great things. Yes. So anyways, we, and we came up with it. I went, I went to see David Stern, the commissioner at the time, and he said, in a very profane way. This is the dumbest idea you've ever come up with. <laughs> I want to change the name. I went through the presentation that we were dead last in licensing. 90% of the licenses didn't even produce New Jersey Net stuff. The people at the NBA licensing think we'd become number one with songwriting. The logo was terrific. Oh, jeez. So he said, Well, have you got the approval from your owners? There were seven owners of the Nets, and I said, "No," I said, "because if you didn't want it, it didn't make any difference that they wanted it." He said, well, "Okay, I'll go with you." So far, now presented to the seven owners who never agreed upon anything, all seven agreed to the change to want to change the name to the Swamp Dragons. The next step was taking it to the executive committee of NBA owners, Jerry Buss, the owner of the Lakers, and it was all the most powerful owners. I presented that to the owners. They voted unanimously for it uh, to change the name. Like Jerry Buston, Lakers, he said, I'd love to do this. He said, the Lakers, there are no lakes in LA. But he said, we've won something. We've won championships. We can't do it. You guys have done nothing. You've just stunk all these years. So he said, that would be a good idea for you to change your name. And then I was told by the NBA that and there were 11 owners on the executive committee and once they approved it, it was pretty much a done deal, but they had to go as a formality to get a fax vote from every team. In those days, I think there was 26 teams in the NBA. And I said, that's fine. And I get a call. And here's where I made some mistakes, Jesse. I'd done everything perfect <laughs> until then. I said, that's fine. The league, David Stern said, they've never not, the, the league, is the owners have never gone against the 11 most powerful owners. So don't worry about a thing. In fact, the League had spent a half a million dollars in legal fees around the world protecting the name Swamp Dragons. So I get a call, and they said, and I said, well, when are you going to do this? They said, well, it's going to be in the future. There's a couple other things we've got to take care of, and then we're going to do it. But don't worry about it. Everything's going in the right direction. One day, I get a call from David Stern. I could practically see Spittle coming out through the phone, that he was so angry and highly profane, basically saying, what the hell's going on over there? And I said, what are you talking about? And... He said, well, we took the vote for the Swamp Dragons, and it came in at 25 to 1 in favor of the New Jersey Nets changing their name to Swamp Dragons. So I said, that's great. I said 25 to 1. We didn't. All we needed was a majority, yeah. so 25 to 1. He said, John, the one team that voted no was the New Jersey Nets. <laughs> and here's where I made the mistake, is that the owners, the seven owners, would pass around the, the fact vote which is really more of a formality than anything. And there's one guy of the seven owners who was really the the nervous one of the seven, got cold feet right at the end. So in the facts came in, he voted no. And I said to David, I said, it doesn't make any difference. That's 25 to one. It doesn't make any difference what this other guy voted or not. We got the vote. He said, John, you can't change the name of your team when your owners voted no. He said, we can't do it. So that never came to be. Wow. Uh, and the mistake that I made, when you look back at it, is not getting down when he said it's got to go to the facts vote, and he gave me all these assurances that this is a done deal. That I didn't find out exactly when that facts vote was going to take place, and I didn't find out exactly who it went to of the seven owners, because then I would have babysat that guy, and we would have been able to do it.
0: Well, that's a, that's a great prelude to why you almost why you wrote the book. I mean, that could have changed. Everything, as far as the New Jersey Nets, as far as merchandise. Brought well, their- my
1: feeling is, if they would have done that, and a lot of marketers feel we would have become number one in licensing. Yes. And I wanted little kids to be wearing the Swamp Dragon shirts over at Madison Square Garden to Knicks games. Yes. It would have given us a whole different identity. It would have been like the Savannah Bananas. Yes. And I submit that team would still be in New Jersey. And Brooklyn might have a team right now, but it would be an expansion team. So yeah, the whole thing changed by that one guy just getting
2: the cold feet. Yeah, it's
0: amazing. So I right, want to finish. I know we're getting close to the end here. A little rapid fire. First, I've been grilling you for a little bit. And I'll let you grill me. A quick flip the script. You're the host of Business <laughs> Done Differently. You can ask me one question.
1: You've got one team now. Yes. Why wouldn't you just do your own league?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you got me on the spot here. Obviously asked that, that question and discussed it. And you obviously brought up banana ball before and we've looked at all that. But yeah, I'll answer with this. One of the best lessons I learned from Walt Disney was how can you control your dependencies? And right. he learned that when he had his movies in the theaters and the theaters were dirty and gross and the lighting wasn't good and it wasn't good experience. He said, I want to create my own land. I want to create a Disneyland where I can control right. people experience. Right. When you're a part, even the NBA is you're learning. You wanted to do something, which would have been a huge, huge success. You were told you couldn't. Obviously, that's something that we look at. I think how we can have more control, deliver the game with no rules, the rules that we want to do it. And right. uh, we are looking at why, if you were me, is that what you would do?
1: Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> let, let's take a look at this. When I was at Mandalay, we had seven teams. Yes. We were all very successful. Uh, Dayton was the most successful team in the history of minor league baseball. In the Midwest League, I looked into buying a couple other teams, like Fort Wayne, South Bend, thinking that we could do, and we knew we could replicate that success because we'd done it time and time again. Mm -hmm. The league wouldn't let us buy in for other teams in that league because they say it would be uncompetitive. Well, we had no choice on the players. In minor League Baseball,
2: yep.
1: the Major League team provides the players, managers, coaches, the whole thing. We provide the stadium and the and the fans. So I thought at the time it would be a lot easier for us if we had five or six teams in the Midwest League. And the Midwest League was terrific cities for yes. for Minor League Baseball.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we couldn't do that. I thought the best way to do a mandala type thing is to do six teams. Hmm where you own them all.
0: And you make and, it the best league there is.
1: Okay, like what we did with Mandalay is the ticket sales manager, as you know, Jesse, the ticket sales are most important thing in my
0: league. Yeah. Especially, especially when you eliminate all your advertising, you're crazy like us. Right. right.
1: <laughs> so like the ticket sales manager with well, the Mandalay teams really reported to me and Steve DeLay. Yes. Even though they worked for Dayton or they worked for yeah. Fisco, they Frisco. So, and when we had our ticket training we took them to a small town in North Texas and had a seven-day boot camp where we brought in 50 ticket salespeople and trained them in our way. Yeah. And so we knew we could be successful. And if you're with a league, sometimes they don't let you be successful.
0: I'm with you. All right. You got me thinking more, like always, John. All right. Listen, can take something away. Obviously, marketing outrageously. You're new. Oh,
1: no, back back to controlling your thing. Yes. I've always felt that that you bring in-house everything that's important to you.
0: Yes. Don't outsource. Yeah.
1: So if tickets are important, you obviously do your own tickets. There are teams, particularly in college, that outsource tickets. us.
0: Yeah. Or entertainment. We don't book any entertainment outside. We do it all. We have the breakdancing first base, right. coach, male cheerleading team, the banana right. nanas. Every part of our entertainment is in-house.
1: Like we brought radio in-house. We brought television in-house. We brought yes. food in-house. This is in the NBA, up when teams weren't doing that. Yes. If it's important enough to you, bring it in-house. One area we have difficulty bringing it in-house, although we did, it was cable, but that can be done too.
0: Oh yeah. Um, you're on streaming.
1: Right. So anything's important, control it.
0: I love it. All right. You know, I got to finish some rapid fire. Okay. Here we go. Let's go. I don't
1: know how rapid
2: I am. But, uh,
0: All right. Well, we're going to try that because I know we're going to pass. I know you're, uh, you're out in your Maui background, but I want to be conscious of the time here. Let's do the best. <laughs> Marketing outrageously. Now you got how to get ideas proved. I know you've ice to Eskimos, but one thing someone can take from you, a lesson right now that they can start creating better ideas and being more outrageous and creating outrageous results.
1: I think you have to have a plan to think of ideas? Like I used to, I mentioned about coming up with something new to initiate in your life every 90 days. So after a year, you've got at least four ideas, <clears throat> new stuff that you've initiated. And after two years, you've got eight. After three years, you've got 12. That, you're pretty much remaking your life, remaking your job the way you want it to be. I also believe that you have to, that's more long-term type thinking. But yeah. then you, once you get in the groove of doing that, you think of things, you're sort of priming your brain to think of new things. Because mm-hmm. you're thinking of every 90 days, you got to come up with something every 90 days.
2: Yeah.
0: Right here, was, this is the idea book. Every t- ten ideas every day, and John, these are terrible. Most of them, but there's a few. Oh, okay,
1: reasons. that's that's what I was going to suggest, Jesse. Was yeah. I used to do five ideas a day, and sit with a cup of coffee, and I didn't care about the quality of the idea. <laughs> I had to come up with five. Yep. And what, we used to have uh, think tanks, like with uh, I did this with Trailblazers and New Jersey Nets where we'd go over to the Oregon coast with the Portland Trailblazer staff. and In those days, our marketing staff was only about 10 people. And you had to come up for two weeks in advance of that meeting, the boot camp, which would be about three days. Yes. And you'd have to come up with five ideas a day of how to improve what we did for a living. Mm-hmm. Right. For a living. And you didn't have to think on the weekends. So you have five ideas for two weeks in advance. That's 10 days. That's 50 ideas that you'd come armed with. And we'd have about 10 people, actually about 50 people, Fifteen people later on. So if each person came up with five ideas a day for ten days, that's 50 ideas times 10. That's 500 ideas. And I said, you're not going to turn those into me. And I'm not going to grade you on the ideas. This is just your bank, your personal bank. We're getting priming the pump for you thinking of how to improve what we do for a living. And if you if you came with 500 ideas, everybody else came with five. Actually, it'd be 750 ideas if there's 15. 500 ideas times 15. How many ideas is that? That's oh, uh, so a yeah. lot. <laughs> <laughs> then this place is just brimming with thinking. Mm. And I said, we might not get to some of your ideas. And then I came up with subject matters later on when we're there. So, like, how can we improve our game performance, mm.
2: our,
1: our game entertainment?
0: Yes.
1: So, and, But that was afterwards. I wanted them to think with a clear slate, without rules, and – they weren't going to be judged on the quality of the idea. They were only going to be, and I, oh, I had, they, yeah, they had to show me the
0: ideas. <laughs> so you held them accountable too.
1: Right. I didn't really read all the 500 ideas, but I wanted to see what they
0: went through. Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I love it. And when you ask a question, how can we improve? We learned this. You can't just say, hey, promotional ideas. The, it has to be a question. right. right. ask a question, <laughs> we said, what could we do to get people to want to stay till the end of the game? You know, right. baseball, right. that never happens. That's unheard of. So when you ask right. a question, then you start creating answers and solutions. Right. I love, that. I love that. Any other personal habits? You just mentioned, obviously you write the ideas, you've talked about the every 90 days, any other personal habits that have really helped you be successful?
1: Well, I found out later in life, which really is helpful is eating better. Not always eating ballpark food. You know?
0: <laughs> Good luck at the stadium, but I know you're talking.
1: Hey, my favorite food in the world is a hot dog. In fact, that used to be a benchmark of mine to tell me when I was a consultant and I'd go to a place and I'd go to the game and I'd, first thing I do is buy a hot dog and I could tell how well run or how poorly run that team is by that hot dog. Wow. And New Jersey nets, I mean, this was my hot dog test, New Jersey nets. I bought a hot dog. And I'd been into it in the middle of it was close to being frozen. And I knew then that the t- this is before I went there, but I knew then that, that that franchise needed a lot of help mm. and they were
0: in big trouble. So, what's your hot dog test <clears throat> at any business? When someone you go into it, what is that? Is there dust on the pictures? Is there What's that little detail? That will show how the place well, is
2: run. I'm not sure,
0: but no, I just, I just that, that's a good question. I think hopefully businesses could pose because I love that. It's a simple little thing that's only a part of the experience, but it shows how the overall experience is run. Right, I love that.
1: And you almost can feel it, Jesse, when you walk into a company. Yes, just you almost can feel the vibes. Like every franchise that I was with, I always put a popcorn machine in the lobby, and the receptions had to keep that popcorn machine going. So I just thought, hey, we're in the sports business, we're in the entertainment business, we're in the fun business. I love it. Popcorn says what we are,
0: and it. it's a show. So, it's, I love it too. It's like theater. It's a show. You're in it. Right, yeah.
1: Right. And again, the Roma and the Papa. we just did that every place.
0: Oh, that's so smart. That's so smart. All right, last few. Last two here. With best lessons you've had from a mentor? You've mentioned some mentors, some people that have helped you in your books, but any lesson that stands out from a mentor of yours? Yeah,
1: I've had uh, I've had quite a few, but I'm not sure. I don't have one right off.
0: Anything think, particular from Roy Williams? You talk a lot about him on the impact of the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Roy,
1: Roy is really bright. I mean, he is really good. Uh, in fact, he's got a thing. you ought to think
0: about the... Uh, Wizards Academy.
1: Yeah, I've ben, yeah, ben uh, spoken to, down there, but he's got a thing that's $100 a month. Or Ray's, you'd like watch this. I'll, I'll send you one. That'd be but great. But it's Ray, uh, Roy talking with two other guys, bright guys, just about business and... You want to consider doing something. Are you doing something like that?
0: With Roy, I even signed up for that. No, now. no,
1: on, on your own.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm doing a lot business. of business. Yeah, I've been fortunate to do a lot of business talking. About.
1: This is by subscription. And I, I bought, oh. bought a subscription.
0: A subscription just to get the insight. Oh, that's smart.
1: i was just I'm just curious. And yeah. I was curious enough to spend $100 the first time. And I think I know Roy. I've known him for a long time. And I spent $100 a month to listen to Roy. And now I'm in my fifth month. And I'm thinking, boy, this is great.
0: This oh, is you great. can't wait. Okay, that's interesting. Maybe I'll sign up. That's good. That's great. All right. You were part of kind of, you know, the whole Savannah Bananas as we started in the beginning. What does going bananas mean to you?
1: Going crazy. <laughs>
0: huh? Yeah. How does it relate to business?
1: Well, I've always looked at just innovation, new as a way of life. Yes. And some of the stuff is not really a like Savannah Bananas is out in the really crazy. Yeah. It's, it's really vaudeville. I mean, it's really it's really fun. Other businesses have difficulty of being properly crazy. And I look at that, first of all, I look at that business should be fun by itself, whether you're in the sports business or you're in a storage company. You know, how is that going to be a little bit more memorable and how can you differentiate that? Yes, And it doesn't have to be Savannah Bananas crazy, but it's got to be just where a person says, oh, that's different.
0: Hmm. Hundred uh, percent.
1: You know that's that's interesting.
0: Last one here, John. I first read your book, The Lessons, and from you were unforgettable for me. They made a lasting impact from when I was twenty-three oh, years you. ago and uh, really changed my course in this business. And I, I want to finish here. What do you think makes someone unforgettable?
1: That's well. That's a that's a tough question. I mean, um, I could say seven hundred pound person walking down the street. <laughs> you know, that would be unforgettable. Yeah. I'm not sure how to answer that, Jesse. How do you You know, I could say the easy one, what makes them authentic. Mm -hmm. But there's so many different, how do you really know a person's authentic until you really get to know them? Mm -hmm. So really be memorable. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I just, I I think about that question and what you did with your teams was unforgettable to many people. And so I think you built.
1: But it really wasn't necessarily me. Like I could be sitting next to the people on an airplane and they would say, well, that's just a boring guy reading a mystery now.
0: Yes. You know? or the experiences you
1: created, But it was with the people that we were working with where we weren't we weren't really afraid of making a mistake. You know, we used to have a thing in New Jersey where, again, going back to the champions, where we would pay bonuses for different ideas. We would pay a bonus if we killed the idea. If, let's say we took the idea to a f- further steps. And you got to a point where we thought it was a great idea, But you know what? It really isn't. We paid the guy or the person a bonus just to kill the idea.
0: (laughs) So you you paid them like cash for just killing, like just, so was it, do you give a bonus for the worst idea or do you get a bonus for just someone saying, we're, it's the same.
1: But I had to go through, you know, we had to go through the steps where to try to bring this idea to fruition. Okay. But if if the idea just had too many holes in it, Jesse, where a lot of ideas where they couldn't be fixed. Yes. We just wanted to let the person know that, it was important of taking that idea to the fullest, even if it's to kill it.
2: Mm, I love it.
1: Because there's nothing worse than to take an idea, first of all, convince your boss that it's a great idea, and then make it, put it out there, and it just is like a turd on the table. (laughs) (laughs) If you can prevent that, that's good. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes, you know, the ideas don't work, so you just discard it and go on to the next one. 100%.
0: 100%. I never knew we'd get into so much ideas, but that's obviously what you were doing for many years coming up with ideas today. And I think it's such a great segue for your new book, the name of the new book? Get Your Ideas Approved. Get Your Ideas Approved. Probably the most important... Stuff.
1: It's only on Amazon. So just uh, go there and you can get it for $2.99.
0: What a deal. Much much lower <laughs> deal than your other books. What, what did you sell the Ultimate Toolkit for? How much were those generally?
1: $4,000.
0: $4,000 for that book versus the 299 Might as well get them both, mix it up. But, uh, <laughs> John, seriously, uh, big inspiration, a lot of fun. I love this because we go back. New is a way of life. Keep differentiating. Have an idea champion. Right, How right. to get your ideas proved. So many good thoughts and concepts that we can get going right now. So I appreciate you. Like I said, you've always been a mentor. and Thanks for everything that you've done to help me in, in my career.
1: Thank you, Jesse. I think you're terrific. This has been so much fun watching you from Portland, Oregon, and it would be watching you as you put your own league together.
0: <laughs> yeah, put yeah, your yeah. own rules. My own rules, the banana ball rules. I like it. Thanks, <laughs> hey, thanks, Jeff. Awesome. Thank you. Sorry, we went a little late. You were just you kept going for a while. You got me going, so that was great. Oh, that's
2: fine. No, it's
1: fun.
0: It's fun talking to you. Yeah, we have a Excellent. Excellent. Well, beautiful. Well, this yeah, this is going to go out in January. I'm going to buy your book right now. Share it with the group, and uh, your name comes up still frequently in Savannah with everything. We try to think. All right, what would John do here? You know. And
1: so. so so you well, I tell you, once you read the book, you should buy it for every staff member because. This one business guy did sent me an email about that. He got tired of having his staff present to him half cocked ideas. Mm. Because what it shows you is this is sort of a blueprint of how to get your ideas approved. Yes. Instead of just going to the boss and say, hey, I've got an idea and not being able to explain, fully explain
0: what it is. Makes sense. Makes sense. We'll do that. What we're doing and you mentioned the league. We've talked about that. We're going to start having games year round why should a team just play during the season? So we're going to have a game, Fansgiving, we're having a game, St. Patrick, we're bringing in other players to play, but we're also-
1: get college kids come in
2: for that?
0: Uh, independent college. I mean, everyone's with minor leagues being shut down, 42 teams, there's players everywhere, but we're also going to take the show on the road. And so literally this spring, we're going to do the one city world tour. So we're going to, it's called the one oh, city like world that. tour. And so we think that taking the bananas <laughs> on the road will create some attention. That's why when you talked about the other states, how do you get them to follow you? I was really interested, but- I think that's where we're going. I, I don't know if you or me. Do you think that's a good path?
1: Well, just the world tour that'll get your feet wet and going. You know, just
0: um, no baseball team's doing it right now. The Globe Trotter's the only one that's doing those tours.
1: Yeah, and I think. Well, uh, here's something. A friend of mine, this years ago, he felt that it was the famous chicken, Bud Light Daredevils, Phoenix Gorilla, all these things really were the important part. This was in Iowa. Yes. <laughs> He put on a – this was a CBA, Continental Basketball Association game, where he featured all these mascots, brought them in from all over. Oh, no, he did it – it was a CBA arena, but he didn't have a basketball game. And it failed miserably. Yes. So, like, I think people like to have the – the auspices of an event.
0: A competitive something going on, yes. Right. Yeah. And
1: then have the three-ring circus. Bring
0: circus it. with it, yeah.
1: And, and baseball is by far the perfect sport for that because okay. there's so much
0: downtime. Yeah. that's what <laughs> like football, football. Two hours, banana ball, fans loved it. No one wanted
2: yeah. more than two
1: hours. Now that's, now here's the thing. Everything good in life, nothing good in life lasts longer than two hours.
2: <laughs> You're
1: probably <laughs> think, spot on. Think about TV movies two hours. A movie in the theater should be two hours. Yes. Any more than two hours, like college football. Yes. You know now it's three and a half, four hours. Yes. I think college football should play one half, and in the course, first quarter, first quarter would be the first half. The second quarter would be the second half. Don't play the second half. If you want to make it a little bit longer per quarter, make the, each quarter. 20. Twenty minutes.
0: Yeah, but in baseball, people blink too much. They're so bored. They're like, "Let's go get food because I'm bored." I, that's what we keep thinking. That's a problem. So why do we take that show in the Well, road? That's
1: the thing, uh, Dayton. When we did that, yeah. you know, Dayton was making, still is, I think, making five million a year. Yeah, it's great. Is we didn't want anybody in the concessions line. We didn't want more than two people in a line. So the concessionaire. So that's crazy. You guys, you'd have to hire all these people. We said so. Uh, our per cap at Dayton. This is back 20 years ago. It was uh, over $10 a person. Mm. Because in baseball, there's this downtime. You think, oh, the 15th, boy, I'd like to have another hot dog. And you look back to the concession stand, you see a big long line, think, well, I'll wait. I'll wait another inning.
2: Yeah.
0: And
1: you lose that impulse buy.
0: Yes. <laughs> Smart. Smart. I love it. I love it. John, seriously, thank you. Let's keep in touch. I really appreciate you. And we'll, we'll get your books and uh, we'll, we'll share with the team.
1: Okay. Jesse, terrific.
0: Thank Take you. Take care, man. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe that challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered in this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.